Hello, this is Maya, still caffeinated, still kicking it, and uh, this is BAM, this is the BAM Vibes, uh, by all means necessary, the podcast, the history play, <laughs> the play on history, where I'm bringing you this time, because we are going into 1920s, we're doing the first all-timey gang-fueled episode. And the whole time I was researching this, I was thinking, first of all, how brilliant it is and how I knew nothing about anything in this episode, like, not a single fucking thing. So, again, yet again, because it's a hitman, I need to cover his boss and I need to cover the era, so to put everything into the perspective for you and try to make it sound the way that when my great-grandma, who is still alive, by the way, fucking kicking it, love my grandma, shout out to grandma who doesn't understand the word of English, will never listen to this, she's a legend, she's born in 1933, so it's the way that, you know, she would tell me a story and it just make it sound like it's a freaking movie and it's usually just about wars and poverty in the streets and yeah, pretty much how I'm gonna try to make this story uh, feel. So you feel it on your skin, even though none of us live during this era. Yeah, let me, let me just raise my expectations and then just quickly drop them <laughs> by my storytelling skills. That's the way, that's the way to go to my... For me to place you into the era, I need to explain to you the period of prohibition in the US. So this was a nationwide constitutional ban of the production, importation, transportation and sale of alcoholic beverages that lasted between 1920 and 1933, totally not just taken from Wikipedia word by word. So prohibitionists actually first attempted to end the trade in alcoholic beverages during the 19th century. But what led to it? Obviously, what led to it was the illegal production and sale of liquor, known as bootlegging, and this story is going to involve a lot of bootleggers. And it was that, plus the rise of gang violence and other crimes, that led to the support for prohibition by the end of 1920. As you might guess, even today, if somebody's like, yeah, we are prohibiting you from doing this, you are immediately, as a rebel insider, like, no, I'm protesting about this shit. So, the protagonist of this story will teach us that this is why the prohibition will never work, because there's just gangs that are going to fight back, and trust me, there's more gangs than politicians. Fact. Totally don't have the numbers on me, but trust, just trust me on that, okay? So, prohibition would prove an enormous boon to the gangs of New York, with Siegel and Lansky, his childhood friend and gang member, joining forces with one of the underworld's rising stars, Charles Lucky Luciano. To understand Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, we need to understand his boss, Lucky Luciano, first. So, now is when I have a screenshot, because I couldn't just copy-paste it. Two other podcasters experience this, that some websites you can't actually just copy-paste this, probably for, you know, plagiarism reasons, but yeah, this stops me in my tracks, so I screenshot it and then put it into the freaking notes. Did you know the screenshot says gangster Charles Luciano told various stories about how he actually got his nickname Lucky. So a lot of them are very heroic and obviously include like murderous attacks, like the one in 1929 uh, that kind of gave him like the scars on his chin and the drooping right eye. But also the nickname has been attributed to his gambling luck or just uh, to a simple mispronunciation of his last name. It just goes from like the most heroic to like uh, people just couldn't fucking pronounce your name. <laughs> At least I don't mispronounce it to Maja, okay? That will scar me for life. I just hate it every single time. When somebody calls me for the first time, they're like, Maja, what is wrong with you? Why would anybody name the child that way? Get a grip. <laughs> this story is gonna have shit ton of names, okay? The most ones that you kind of need to know are Luciano, Seagull, 
landscape. And I'll mention now a couple of them that go through um, kind of shape who Luciano was and this whole gang. But yeah, don't lose it if you can't keep track of names. Even I tried to limit it and I was like, okay, I actually need to state the names for this to make any sense. I can't just go with the pronouns. And I trust me, I want to so badly. <laughs> so Luciano, like the rest of the protagonist of this story started his criminal career in a gang that was called Five Points Gang and it was instrumental in the development of National Crime Syndicate. So now, of course, this is not like a legit organization, but Syndicate, remember it because it's important because it comes down like deeper into the story and it actually might lead to somebody's or many people's deaths. Dramatic moment. This is how it starts, yeah? This is how the, my black and white movie in my head starts. Yeah, you just see like Luciano battling, getting his scarred chin, getting his jupe tie, and then like walking into this building that's called the Syndicate. <laughs> but when you walk in, you know that it's a national crime syndicate, and you know it's a gang business, and they're all drinking milkshakes. That will actually come up, it's a legit fact. It's so badass, so badass. So this whole pretty much scenario is about, you know, something old and something new, but not in a wedding context, but like trying to eliminate like the new kids on the block, trying to eliminate the old guard or like mustache beads, whatever called. So like trying to eliminate the previous gangs and being like, no, this is our turf now. You're old, get the fuck out. And at that time, you can actually Google images on this, but New York and La Bronx area in New York was just crowded by different gangs. So it was the Irish, it was the Jews, it was shit ton of Italians. But basically, what Luciano wanted to eliminate is these gangs working like against each other. And this is what another gang member, Masseria, represented. So, uh, Masseria refused to do deals with non-Italians and Luciano saw this as like a major weakness of his that he can exploit. With the help of another guy called Maranzano, totally not confusing when everything sounds the same, and his young eager mobsters, including Seagull, Lucky helped orchestrate an attack onto Masseria. So now we have a second scene of our movie, yeah? They're out of the syndicate and they're out into a pub. <laughs> they just went into a bar, right? And they're playing cards, you know, they're acting like the nine, you know, they're doing the 1920s kind of fun things. <laughs> She's just playing cards. So Luciano excuses himself, he's like, Mr. Guzzi, he goes to the toilet. And at that very moment, the two gunmen pass by, one of them being Seagull, the other one being a guy that was named the Artichoke King. I never googled it. It might be worth googling it, because what the actual fuck? Do you love artichokes, guys? <laughs> Very important facts, yeah. Okay, okay, back to the movie. Back to the movie scene. We paused it there for a second, we're back. They're passing by, right? And they just shoot Masseria. Apparently, legends say, right, because everything here is a myth, because it was happening in the 1920s, and it was passed, like, you know, story by story. Kind of like what I told you about my great-grandma just passing her stories on to, like, one kid to the next, and then, you know, details kind of become myths. So, apparently... <sighs> burps. One of the hitmen that was initially supposed to do the attack was actually too shaken and then Seagull actually just uh, has done it himself and shoved him into the driver's seat and then Seagull becomes, you know, super cool dude that actually stood up for his values and uh, was about to become a big deal because of this. So now, with Maransano's blessing, Luciano actually takes the guys, uh, Maseria's gang, the guy that he just killed, and becomes Maransano's lieutenant, ending this war. So without Maseria 
there is now five families that were headed by Luciano, Profacci, Gagliano, I'm so butchering these Italian names, but hey, Vincent Mangiano, and himself. Who is himself? Oh, Maranzano, okay. <laughs> and to celebrate this, Maranzano calls a meeting of crime bosses in New York, where he declared himself capo di tutti capi. Okay, this is a really cool expression. It means boss of all bosses. You know, you gotta, you gotta appreciate. You gotta, you know, name the episodes appropriately. <laughs> Name yourself appropriately. If you are your boss of all bosses, what else? What else is not clear? But now Luciano is like, yeah, that's cool, cool name, bro. Now I'm going to organize a meeting with crime bosses in Chicago, where Al Capone is actually going to attend as well, and I'm going to revolutionize these gangs. So he divides these regional groups into families, and each family now would keep their own turf, like adapt to a business-like structure, and follow a similar set of rules. So in addition. Each member of the mafia had to keep silent about their activities. So there's an honor code that's called Omerta, which is basically just a code silence about the criminal activity. And just if you are uh, arrested by any chance, you don't give any uh, details to the police. You know, like honor amongst the thieves, but like he's trying to make that actually a real thing. They, they didn't have movies, guys. They didn't watch shit. Like they didn't know that this is not how it actually works. So now when he is getting some power, he's like, well, I can actually eliminate this guy as well. Capo di tutti capi my ass. You know, how do you say that in Italian? They Google that, did I? So he now hires four killers from Murder Inc., which was his incorporation. So now Agatha shit in like Agatha Christie shit, yeah? Murderinc.com. <laughs> They kill Maranzano, yeah, that's the next scene, right? The crime syndicate is back in business, it's established, it's amazing. Such beautiful buildings, you can believe that, so much color to it, so much color. You just can't see it in my black and white version, but so much color. And now he is the first official boss of the modern Genovese crime family. This is the intro to the movie, right? This is before the title and the intro song. And now that you understand who the protagonist in this story worked for, let us dive into this hitman's life and the motives behind Benjamin Siegel's crimes. So let's focus on the events that led to his discovery now. So Siegel could only kill so many fellow gangsters before they actually started looking for revenge. So the NYPD was on his tail and has already been monitoring him closely. And after he went on a spree and killed three rival mobsters, word got back to him and Lansky that it was Siegel's turn to be marked for murder because that's just not what you... just spread them out. Again, not something that I should definitely cut out of this episode, but yo, people in 1920s, what the fuck? Do you not know? You need to know true crime to do true crime. Most of this podcast, totally not. Don't listen to the mind words. <laughs> so now, 1939 was kind of like the highlight of his career because they have this big murder of Harry Big Greeny Greenberg outside of his apartment. They killed him because Greenberg threatened that he would become a police informant. So murdering over his killing. And now, one of the killers confesses to the murder and agrees to testify against Siegel. 
So now he's implicated in a murder. He's tried and now he's spending some time in prison, right? So just like, just imagine the next scene. The next scene in my black and white movie, yeah? There's a knock on the door, they have warrant for the arrest for the murder, and they arrest him. And now it's that part of the movie where the criminal is just living their best life inside of prison. Like, he didn't sleep on prison bed, he slept at like physician's office, he was entertaining women and they were bringing him like all sorts of women from outside. So he had the privilege of getting out of the prison and then just being driven around town to do business. Like, what is life? How did this work? <laughs> what kind of money was, like, were we speaking here? What kind of bribery was going on? You know, you're just imagining it, like, playing to some cool, like, Italian song, and then he's living his life. He's just, like, you know, being surrounded by all these women, but, like, on the side, he's just paying this bribe, passing onto a suitcase to the prison guard, just going out, living it. In the meantime, his buddies have killed yet another participant in this Greenberg's murder, who would have testified against him, so Siegel is released from prison. And now that he's out, Lenski actually decides that since the syndicate was looking to expand out west, his friend would, uh, you know, love uh, to go California, so the syndicate just sends Siegel there by himself. So he goes from like partying in the prison to partying in California, he parted with movie stars, with socialites, like Frank Sinatra is one of them. I didn't know who the other people were, so uh, yeah, <laughs> great research there. And sort of this move was when, sort of just building up to when he will reach his ultimate dream, which is when in 1946 he would open up a casino called Flamingo which he named after his girlfriend, Virginia Hill. If there was ever a moment in a story where I kind of felt sorry for Siegel, it is with this whole flamingo thing and uh, his love for Virginia Hill. Because he was just out here making the hotel built after her, you know, planning the next trip, like, ooh, look at her, Virginia, while Virginia was, like, literally scamming all the mobsters and sleeping around with everybody. But listen, that hotel was beautiful, okay? It's just the sign, it's not even the, the actual building, but it's just that sign was so prevalent, I think, like, in the invested all of that money into that sign and they would glow pink during the night and then you know you would see like all these black and white pictures of like cars you know the old-timey cars in front of it Ugh, i just need an old-timer car in my life and virginia was there at best like just sitting it out being like mm, i don't know anything about your debts i mean i don't care how you pay them out you know, it's not like I'm in a mob and, like, I can actually help you out. No, you're in a prison. Well, I'm here, like, you know, getting married to, like, a random dude. Just because it's kind of, like, more beneficial for me. But yeah, I, I don't know anything about this. Sitting this one out. Speaking of, okay, this might be a long story. So, if you don't want to listen to a personal random story, but there's a moral, there's a moral to it. Yeah, like, skip the next minute or two, okay? So basically, during my uni time, I used to live in, like, these random flats that were just creepy at best, because it was just with random people. So I moved out of this flat and moved into another one during the summer, so it was like kind of like short-term rental, so I was like, yeah, whatever. First of all, just the architecture of this flat should have been like <laughs> the sign for me to be like, no, what the hell, whoever actually pays the rent to live here is like desperate case. Just because it just went from like really high ceiling to like really low, and people that literally rented me the place were kind of like dwarves. They were not actual dwarves, they were like really small. 
also, like you would go into the kitchen to enter the toilet. Like the toilet entrance was in the kitchen. Who in the hell thought of that? Not just that, but in the toilet. Like the actual toilet seat was on the pedestal. <laughs> like it was like a step and then the toilet seat. And not in a cool like, ooh, my shitter is my throne kind of way. No, in like a really fucking creepy, <laughs> like this is a small kind of toilet situation way. Also, I can hear what people are cooking in the kitchen. Oh boy, okay, okay, the serious part of the story, right? Oh yeah, another thing which kind of, yeah, goes into the point of the story um, is that my room was after the other two rooms. So it was kind of like the other two rooms were on the, were on the right and then my was like straight ahead to the end so like people could technically just barricade me in. So in the room next to mine there was this couple. The guy was borderline like Hulk built. It was like huge Eastern European man and the woman was tiny. It was just petite little woman looking like scared for me let alone from her own partner. So one day I'm in my room you could obviously hear everything constantly and I just hear the loudest most violent argument next door and like after some time it's just him like screaming and punching things. So I think like it was the wall but I'm like what if it, this is a domestic? I'm freaking out inside my room. I'm like what the hell do I do? Basically because as I said like I could easily be barricaded. If they put something in front of my room I can't get out of there. And then from my window I need to jump about 10 meters downstairs. And then you know if I survive I need to like jump the fence and get the hell out of there. But the first thing in my mind was what if it is a domestic? You know I would be scared of the guy let alone this woman. What am I doing? So, I'm like, okay, I can't ignore this, you know. I can't play a Virginia Hill in this story. I need to get the hell out and check on this woman. So I go and knock on the door and like she kind of opens it up and I'm like, get out. Like, like no, I, I've seen enough movies to know that this guy can be holding a gun against you. Like, get the hell out. I wanna, I wanna question you. So she does and I'm like, are you okay? Do you want me to call somebody? What the hell? Like, bling for help, basically. She just gave me that look, ugh, like this woman not minding her own business, you know? She's just like, ugh, it was just a loud argument. So I listen, you guys need to help yourselves. She didn't have any bruises or anything, so I dropped it, but it was just like, it could have been anything. So yeah, that totally didn't cause, you know, the weirdest, most awkwardest conversations and looks between us from then on, every day. The moral of that story is, especially now during the quarantine, okay? Don't sit in your house ignoring the just the disturbing noises next door. Because domestic abuse is clearly not a joke. Like, just imagine yourself being stuck in your home, hating your life because you're living with an abusive person. So if you hear anything, fucking call it out. Call the police straight up to go to them and be like, what is going on? Let's check you for bruises and see what's up. We always get involved and save the world, right? Is that what I'm teaching you or not? Okay, this is the longest story. Where the hell was I even on the script? Go head to Patreon after this episode. Of course, I could not. After researching on everything, I was like, I cannot just neglect this woman. <laughs> so I researched her and that have done a mini episode on Virginia Hill. Now, this dream has only partially been realized, so just imagine him going into this, like, crazy flamingo casino thing and just sort of still having that glum look about on his face. Because he didn't want this just to be a casino, he had bigger dreams, he wanted this to have pools, to be like a resort, to have restaurants, shop and hotel. But that part of the dream never came through. Just imagine him going into that casino and then just one of the players like, hey, look at that, that's Bugsy. And him just being completely shook and pissed off because this is the reminder of the past that he didn't want to relive. Bugsy was the nickname that he always hated. 
So he sends the security to kick this guy out, and the word spreads quickly through the casino. Never call Benjamin Siegel Bugsy again. So in these casinos, Ben developed a system where the national horse races results would be distributed to his casino. So apart from gambling, this casino race wire is now a legitimate business. So this is not like the shady thing, it's actually like a real thing, but yeah, it's not in my movie because I don't fully understand it, okay? But this is now when Virginia Hill is in play. Both of them were said to be like really desperate to prove that they fit in, and both of them were violent. So this is like a match made in hell. So, you know, we have a couple of scenes where, yeah, Virginia Hill is there, like, you know, with a classy hat on her head, looking all glamorous and being like, ooh, he's like, you're my flamingo, look at this, I named the casino after you, you're special, and yeah, we just have that, like, Casablanca moment of the uh, 1920s. But we are now in, like, 1940s, so, uh, yeah, it, it's still my choice. <laughs> the moments we have. So now, if you remember, he actually didn't complete his project which was, by the way, financed by his old buddies, so by his gang. Like, they put, like, huge, huge investments into this. So, he's getting pressure from the syndicate from New York to actually see some profit. And uh, guess what? Ben is hiding that he is actually in debt, because he might have known how to be a hitman, he might have known how to be a great gang member, but he had no clue how to do business. So this casino didn't have a single profitable month. Um, so he returned to New York to get more cash for the project that he is clearly unsuccessful at. And even bribed some commissioners like to prolong his casino license and be like, hey, yeah, just let me, you know, I'll own up to it. It's just kind of like that kind of thing where you just promise, overpromise, which you definitely can't deliver. Don't do it, don't do it. Be like me. Be ready a week before with an episode, just in case, you know, you die in between. <laughs> Who's gonna publish them if I die? Like, what is the logic? <laughs> but no, yeah, better logic than his logic, okay? And now is when we have this build-up, right, in this movie. So he kicks his long-term partner Sedway out of a casino. He goes to LA to just like settle down, figure it all out, right? Like as if like this whole business degree is just suddenly gonna pop up in his head. And he's like sitting in his chair, just you know, get, meditating on it, getting his peaceful zen on, and gets killed by a hitman. Nine fucking shots, okay? They, they go really speedily because it's still nine shots, so it's a lot. Like, you don't want, like, a nine-minute scene of these shots. And there's a famous picture online where he was apparently shot through the eye. Slightly disturbing, but still black and white kind of disturbing. So you picture it, he's in Virginia Hill's house in Beverly Hills, just reading a newspaper, getting his hand on his living room, and the piece is shattered when the shots from military Corbine, don't ask, don't ask what it is, blasts through the window and hits Eagle in the face. He's killed instantly and gruesomely. And the sequence ends with his eyeball just getting out of his socket and going across the room. Cut, cut, <laughs> cut the scene. On to the next scene where Sedway just walks into the casino knowing full well that his colleague is just dead and he says the casino is his now. Seagull's killer is never found. Now that this scene is so successfully shot, we roll back to see like what kind of conspiracy was there and why was Seagull actually killed in the first place. So we go back, 1946 shows on the screen and we are in a meeting that was held with the board of directors of the syndicate in Havana, Cuba, yeah? You just picture those colorful cars, black and white, picture it. Picture them in color. 
And apparently, Lansky starts this conversation being like, yep, I know he's my friend, his business is doing really bad now, he will never probably be able to return the money to us, and he's just asked for more, we need to get rid of this guy, you know, he's really cancerous for the business, it's totally what I would have said, cancerous for the business, yeah? And at his request, they all agree that Seagull needs to go. And they all send one of his hitmen, kill Seagull. And now we cut to the scene where the police is just is about to review his crimes in like proper detail and be like, what could have we done differently? And then they would discuss the motive after that. This episode is just either going to be like really loved or really hated because I'm putting these movie scenes that don't exist into your head. So uh, yeah, good, good job. Good luck for that. Good luck loving it. So now we have the police reviewing this file and they're going back chronologically. So in 1920s they have the killing of Maranzano. They're like, yep, we had him for that, you know, he served some time for it. They know, well, they think they know where the gathering is. They think they know of uh, just a syndicate. But then we actually see where these guys would be meeting up. You know, obviously they would have like this building that was just cover. But then Bent founded Murder Inc, which was basically just like an agency of contract killers. And we cut to the scene where Ben and his contract killers would actually meet. And it's a candy shop called Midnight Rose. Yeah, they run by rosy gold. So they all gather there and drink milkshakes because nothing is more badass than a bunch of contract killers just acting like teenage girls. <laughs> and then, you know, they're all sleeping on, they're all sucking on those freaking plastic straws. They, they did not care about the environment, no. There was no paper straws at that time. And then a phone in the shop would ring and they'd get their target. They made sure that no one, no hitman is personally attached to their target, which is pretty much the craftsman of hitmanship, isn't it? Like, yeah, you don't stalk them, that's not your job, you just get the name, get how much money you're gonna get, and you go and kill them, right? Am I missing out something? Why is this mentioned here? Now again, we are seeing police officers being frustrated because they don't know of the next scene and what happens, and it's cartoonish as hell, but it's great. So one day, Benjamin Siegel is just sitting in his legitimate office. He sees a string with dynamite attached to it, lowering into his office. And him in like 1930s James Bond just manages to throw it out in time and the dynamite just explodes outside of his office. So now, as a cover and some scheming, he actually admits himself into a hospital. In the meantime, his mates figure out that this is a revenge by Waxy Gordon. Just the name. It's the name. Man Fabrizio's is they intercepted one of his shipments and killed three of his men. Remember when I told you about the three men just being killed, killed, killed? Like, straight up, you don't do that because then people come for you, man. So Ben gets out of the hospital during the night and kills the brothers, kills the Fabricius, and returns. And now he has an alibi because there's no CCTV, nobody saw him leave, right? It's amazing. Without CCTV, you could do together shit. But, so the police is already on its case, and they're like, yeah, we questioned this alibi, right? And it was always questionable. And this is where we dropped him. This is where we must have failed, because after that, we lose touch. He moves into LA. He's suddenly a socialite. He's attending YMCA. He's attending athletic clubs. Yeah, the police in New York knew all of this, yep. And they've heard of his schemings in LA, right? Okay, this is totally not a fact, but it's how the story goes, yeah. So what Siegel used to do is offer actors, like, managerial services, like, he's an agent 
student but then he would also go to studios with the same offer and then he would obviously take percentage from both so he would actually get to manage like high profile actors so now is when he actually gets to control gets uh, involved into gambling again and, and takes percentage by sending them this race wire so he is made and let's kill Luciano from the east coast is sending him some intel so they're telling him to find this gang boss Dragna and to give him a subordinate role so they were like sort of putting some fear into this guy but then because this syndicate's like bookmaking wire operations are having so much problems so many problems with Siegel and how he doesn't know how to run business they decide to give some percentage of the racing wire to Dragna which pisses Siegel off because despite the fact that he's actually controlling some offshore casinos and a major prostitution ring, which is kind of like a fact that nobody develops any further in this whole story, I'm like, well, that, that's great. Yeah, that's the part that we should skip. Like, as if I care about race fire. I don't understand this. I understand prostitution. Why? <laughs> so now, as we know, this is where he dreamt too big. He had his dream and he was like, I don't want to just be like a minor person in this gambling business. I want my own. But it's also when his body count got to that point where no one could actually ignore his influence and his criminal record any longer. So this is, you know, where we have the like police who is like determined, like, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get them. And we go back to that scene where it's the hitman just in front of his house being like, no, I got to him first damn right and you go back to the police officers who are just now stressed because they did get to him first and he's dead now and the only thing that they still are to find out about this case and to discuss is his background so as we know Siegel is born in extreme poverty he was born in Lower East Side which at the time was just run by different gangs as I mentioned so from different nationalities different bosses and his dad was a machine operator it literally worked in order to survive it's kind of like a oh, few cents an hour totally bullshitting there was probably information but i didn't know that um, like i can't do this conversion shit so his family were eastern european jews and they have settled in lower manhattan so you know it's like lower east side and then we have the upper east side and the gossip girl it has never been a better episode for me to just put in some gossip girl references but then yeah this is a 1920s movie okay <laughs> so he finally drops out of school when he was 11 <laughs> Finally, you know, like, I had enough, like, so many years of school, what does this, like, what do I need this for? And he joins street gangs. So he got his nickname Bugsy because he was violent even as a kid. So they used to call him crazy as a bad bug, you know, as he would say back in the days, <laughs> you know, crazy as a bad bug. Crazy as a bag of nuts. <laughs> he can literally make anything work because that's how ridiculous this expression is, you know? As a person who, like, named this podcast so beautifully, I know, right? You gotta love how this can only work as a 1920s movie because the next sentence is even as a teenager, he would steal bags of change. He just immediately got hooked on the frill. So they would just steal, like, bags of change from the shops or wherever and then make a run for it. So his first meeting with Lansky, who was, as we know, his friend and well then turned out to be a traitor to him in the end. Never trust anybody, especially in gangs, yeah? <laughs> especially in gangs. So apparently there was this unfair game on the street and people pulled guns on them. Lansky manages, managed to pull Ben out of it, which was hard because Ben was violent and he just, yeah, wanted to fight. And it was literally just the police was just about to approach, yeah? This is the scene, yeah? And uh, Ben trusted him enough and let the run go and they just ran together from the cops. This is when the bootlegging, when like, you know, sort of the starts of the business, yeah? Everybody needs to, even gangs need to start as a startup. 
okay? So this is when bootlegging started. So they would formalize the gang together and this is when they would stop a liquor truck on the road and steal it. And there is again this legend slash myth slash something that probably is has been told so many times that it just appears like an unrealistic story. So apparently Ben got ambushed as he was surrounded from three sides, but he managed to still get into the truck and take the driver out and ran it into the other vehicle that uh, was full of all these people that surrounded him suddenly. And this is when he suddenly proved his worth to Luciano because he was worth more than all of these men together. It's just another fucking movie. But yeah, makes great for uh, for my movie scene. Also, I have a word that I haven't known so far and it's just... It's just ridiculous. It's just like somebody invented this word. It's called slamming. It's like no slamming, slamming. <laughs> it's like when I use the baby voice and you're like slamming, slamming. Which is hiding a pipe inside a newspaper and slamming people. So this is how like the bootleggers used to stop the cars to steal the alcohol. It's just only 1920s. Only then. And now we see a 20-year-old man who has seen no reason from the gangs, is now wealthy than ever, has his style, which is like, as you know, if you watched any of the movies or if you Google the image of Ben Siegel, he was like famous for how stylish he was as well. So you could just see the wealth like reeking off him, you know, for that age, just like having a suit. And this is where he meets Lucky Luciano and the organized crime was born. And this is where the police discusses the very first crime they know about him, which is when he sexually assaulted a woman who rejected him. And apparently this was reported to the police by the woman. But then somehow she has just withdrawn the charges and they all believe it is because Lansky visited her and put some fear into her. And yet again, they're like, this is how he will get away with most of his crimes and this will also be the death of it. And now these police officers are having just one more discussion where they're gonna go over his crimes in snapshots and just figure out what motivated this guy. So what were his motives? So as the wise police officers are sitting there and they're like, huh, we didn't get to him first. They're like, this guy, this guy, you know, they just like ruminate. He, he was ambitious. He just wanted to have it all. And you know, another police officer comes back to this and is like, no, money should never be your only motivation. Let me tell you, young man. <laughs> always have more to strive for you know and never just be motivated by money and those dollar signs and the other police officer jumps in he's like yeah that mate was always too big for his boots he was never the boss and didn't know how to run a business himself but he just always wanted more and the other one is like yeah that's what i was saying with the ambition mate like and then you know the the second one that was saying all about the money shouldn't be your motivation is like yeah that's like exactly what i said so we're all agreeing on the exact same thing right the fourth man with the mustache speaks up is like no you know what you know what he has done it for respect this is why he's done all of these killings to get the respect from his boss they were all boosting his ego and the image and he had envisioned the image people saw of him and he couldn't disappoint them it's just that in the end finally he would never lived up this image finally he had nobody to protect him and he finished the sentence with he just wanted a little respect and then Loretta Franklin's songs plays up and that's that's the end of the movie. Loretta <laughs> Franklin was literally just born as as freaking Seagull was killed. Doesn't make sense, does it? But the movie is made now, so we can put any kind of music here. <laughs> Wasn't it the most underwhelming experience? Like wouldn't that have been the most underwhelming experience if it was actually a movie? 
just imagine it's just like it starts with the actually most dramatic moments and then it just terminates like yeah he's just a bunch of police officers discussing it with the shots of him doing things as they're discussing the motives this is why i'm not in film production <laughs> yeah B- barely a podcaster here okay? can't do it all okay the sources for this podcast have been podcast mafia and kingpins them right both of them they were all like obsessed with freaking seagull all that's interesting website wikipedia articles on bugs the seagull and lucky luciana crime and investigation article on charles lucky luciana and history.com on a luciano there we go it's a history lesson it's a movie i gave it i gave it all <laughs> well let me know how much you hated that pretty confident that you loved it right pretty like 90 something percent confident but then there's that seed of doubt which is like maya this is not a movie this is a podcast but i mean we'll never know (laughs) unless you hit me the fuck up okay caffeine is like running down yeah it's just like calming down a bit now i'm like ooh, the sound has settled the caffeine has calmed down perfect chance for me to dive into like other true crime podcasts now that i have recorded for like three hours okay you don't care about this you don't care about how much hard work goes into this as long as there is an episode every monday nobody cares this is it this is the harsh truth of reality okay oh god that's the case that's the case move on move on with your life move it would you just love how in every episode I just ask for appreciation, I call you out on not paying me anything, as if it's your fault. We, we are not much different than the people we cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says, bravely. Bravely. Brave statement. How is this podcast not cancelled yet? What is up? But you know, this week we are starting to at least pick up the pattern between these hitmen. Because every single one seems to die the way that they're used to commit crimes, you know? This is why we believe in karma on this podcast. And why I definitely don't encourage anybody to commit crimes, cause you're gonna die the same fucking way. Don't, don't do it. Especially not now, like, people are getting released out of prison left, right and center because of coronavirus. You don't wanna go into it. Nice segue there, because I mentioned the Marshall Project last week. Well, what I didn't mention, what kind of happened in between then and now, was the release of one person that I covered in this podcast due to coronavirus. I am, of course, speaking about Takashi69. So he still has four months of his sentence to serve, but he's gonna serve it from home because he has been one of those people early released from prison due to his asthma, so he's like more at risk of getting coronavirus and then having like severe health problems. It's just the luck that this guy has. And then the way that he pushes this luck is just always beyond me. The information from this is from the article on Vulture, which has kind of like gotten into details about the uh, conditions of his release. So they're not revealing where he has been released to so they said like he is gonna stay at an address approved by the defendant's probation officer so basically it's like is it his home or is it not his home they're just not saying so the people don't actually go there for revenge you know so there's no restrictions of him posting on social media so of course daniel our favorite boy has made a status not a status he changed like his description of the profile on instagram and he just said me a snitch like am i missing out on something then he deleted it i just went to check Made people take screenshots. He's basically just been now joking about his snitching status and be like, No, I never snitch. Like, what are you on about? And his girlfriend just apparently said, like, Hey, he just spoke a little, huh? Wink, wink emoji. People, stop 
joking. Like you, right now, if you are, you are under protection, you should be the quietest human ever. But of course, of course, we discuss the motives behind this guy's crimes. He is out, out there seeking notoriety. That's the thing. It's just like has the biggest pounds of luck, the biggest chances of luck that I have seen in like years. Okay, to actually get the reduced sentence, then be released home after serving only a few months in prison, and then just still, just keep going. Stop it, Daniel, por favor, get a therapy. Get a therapy session. Still, again, he is confined to his house, but people can come visit him, and he can still release music. Again, just plays to him being famous, making sure he can profit out of all of this. Just nothing makes sense in this world right now. And again, he has security, so he has his protection. Not witness protection, but like his own security, which again, is it the smartest move? You can kind of debate on that. But what he doesn't get is like, the security is not his biggest problem. Like, oh my god. If he keeps like calling people out on social media, if he keeps like joking about his snitching status, people are gonna find him. People are gonna go around security. Like, they're gonna get your fucking house plans. Also, if you actually record something now and then go to studio to record it, or, you know, after the four months, you are making interviews somewhere, someone is gonna intercept it. Like, this is the time when somebody like this should remain their, their quiet self, should calm the hell down, and just try, just pretend rehabilitation. Just pretend like nothing of that happened, you are a new person, you are co continuing with your life. But no! But if people were saying like that, who would I be covering on this podcast? I would have no cases. Fame is killing common sense, okay? Fame is just killing people's common sense. Fuck me, man. Okay, well, that was that coverage of the news. Okay, now, on to some calm, calm recommendations. Just have free for you again this week, you know? The lucky free, and probably just me limiting myself to recommending you everything in my library. So, coping with COVID-19, let's go. Podcast recommendation. Well, all of them are podcast recommendations. <laughs> Lols. I'm being a bit on the binge. If you want, like, a break from murder, but you're still really into crime, but, like, just weird things that nobody covers, that's definitely in their description. <laughs> Especially because they're British, so yeah, they, they would love me just saying these things about it. From something else, there's a podcast called The Immaculate Deception. I think it's a nine-part podcast, but they're, like, at part four or five. It's about this Dutch doctor, fertility specialist, Jan Karbat, who has used his own sperm to basically inseminate, I think it's proven, about 49 or 50 kids, but he used it on like 200 people or more. It's just this British eloquent podcast of the interviews of his children. And what do they think, you know, what crime do they think it's being committed? Has it been a crime? How did they find out about it? And most of them, it is due to DNA. So, like, just imagine yourself using, like, you know, um, what's it called? Ancestry. Or one of those DNA websites to be like, hey, look at this. Who is my family? Like, let's find a line and realize you have, like, suddenly hundred-something siblings. You're like, um, this is a bit strange. Uh, how did this come about? And then it's basically this whole investigation about it. It's really interesting. Thing. And yeah, it's kind of like 30-minute episodes, so definitely go listen to that. Because it's kind of that thing of crime which we don't think about, which is definitely a freaking crime, because uh, it includes a bit of a consent uh, thing. And now, the other two podcasts are just for the mystery lovers. So if you love Sherlock Holmes, if you love Agatha Christie, 
definitely discover them because of Agatha Christie. Phoebe from the podcast Criminal has a podcast, Phoebe Reads a Mystery. We've definitely been enjoying that. So it's like a chapter a day. So she has done a book by Agatha Christie first and then now is on to Sherlock Holmes. So I think she's just gonna like alternate between, I don't know, I don't know what's in her brain. <laughs> but yeah, from uh, this pattern of like literally two books being read so far, I think yeah, she is alternating between reading different mysteries. Yeah, that, that should be safe to say. So if you, you know, don't want to spend money on audiobooks and Audible and Apple books, hey, this is a good way to do it. Another one of that sort is called The Classic Tales. That one covers a lot. Again, it's like multiple chapters per like podcast episode, but it kind of covers a lot more. So there is one by Agatha as well. So that's the one I've been listening to. But yeah, it covers like other classic tales that people otherwise might not be reading about or listening to or hearing about. So thanks for those people that are they're basically reading books and providing them for free to us during this time. And if you need more of a content fix, well, you know where to find me on Patreon. The links are below, patreon.com forward slash thatbampod. Or, you know, if you just want to see what I tweet about, I'm gonna run another poll for the cases I should be covering in May. So keep your eyes peeled on the Twitter feed, thatbampod as well. So you can choose the cases, you know, you can rule my life again. Tell me again what you want covered like you did for this month. Well, you can just email me to bampod at gmail.com and tell me, like, Maya, no, this is, this is what you're missing out on. This is what the public wants to hear. <laughs> so you see, interact with me. Hello, I am out to play. <laughs> what? By out, I mean in the cyber rollout. I'm definitely not out there playing on the streets, okay? Stay home, stay safe. Listen. And let me leave you with this note, okay? Yeah, your, your, other, your next Zoom call note, okay? Motivation is a myth. Just listen to young, wise Maya, okay, of 27 years, has lived through so much. <laughs> it especially pisses me off in this work-from-home environment where people are like, no, I need to get up, do my workout like I would every day, go for a walk, have a shower, put a suit on. Like, no, you don't need any of this shit. Also, also, just a thought, if you actually do need all of that shit, just question yourself. If you need all of that to motivate yourself to do your work, do you actually care about your job? Do you actually want to be in that place? Do you do you want to work for that company? Yeah, just that, just a thought, you know, it's just not to depress you on a Monday. But why are you doing this? Why are you doing all of this? If I had to motivate myself to get out on the street, like have a run or do a workout every day, boy, I would never do it. Trust me. Since day one, as a child, when my parents would literally get me to the place, I would be like, I don't wanna, I'm just gonna do it. I don't wanna, fuck it. So yeah, fuck motivation, fuck motivation channels, gurus, all of these accounts that are just there being like, this is how you do it, this is how you work from home. No, this is what people post for clicks to get paid. Okay, don't fall into it. You just, what you do, you get up and you log on to your laptop and you just start doing work. Yeah, let me be your voice of reason, okay? Let me enlighten the masses. Me, the young Maya, the person that will probably have this podcast cancelled just by the bullshit I'm saying on it. Yep. This is who you want to listen to, okay? Yeah, but don't push this and go into another extreme where you join a Zoom call and you just say like, hey, I didn't want to join this, but hey, here I am. Don't do that. I mean, unless the people you work with are super extra chill about it. So yeah, hope you're coping with this right. If an old-timing case has taught us anything, it is that even this corona time is just going to be passed from next generation to the other. And the information and the feelings and everything is just gonna be lost and everything is gonna sound like, hmm, did this really happen? Was this a myth? Is this actually how they used to work? So leave it. Leave it now, okay? 
feel every emotion, experience everything you're experiencing. And just, yeah, don't fucking hope that you're gonna get up motivated every day to do it. No, I got up today. What was the day? I did not know. <laughs> and here I am. Got up, recorded this. Damn right. Bam. You know, it happened. So you go follow the steps of young Maya, okay? And one more thing, one more thing. Yeah, you, you know what's coming, you know what's coming. <laughs> keep making the motivation a myth and keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. It's so hard to say goodbyes, but, uh, but it has to be done, okay? Bye!